So 2016, you know what that means? God's given us another shot. Happy New Year. And I'm glad you are taking, all of those of you who are worshiping, maybe for the first time, and you've just decided, uh, I love New Year's decisions, by the way. Um, I, I love to begin again uh, because I need to begin again a lot. And, and the fact that you got yourself in a place, whether you're online or you're in this room, you got yourself in a place that would make a practical difference. I heard this story about this guy standing on his bathroom scales where a lot of us find ourselves after the holidays. And he had his, his, his stomach all sucked in. You know how guys are. You know, his stomach sucked his, his wife walks in, looks at him on the scales. She's thinking to herself, men, you know. She says to him sarcastically, you're on the scales. That's not going to do any good. He says, sure it will. Otherwise, I can't see the numbers. <laughs> you got to get yourself in a, in a place where you're knowing what you got to do. And that's where you are right now. And I want to, let me tell you what I want to do today. I want to give us a, a kind of a long view of where we're going in 2016. Because I want you to come for the whole journey. I want you to know, first of all, that we as a church and you as people are in a better position now to see what God has for your life than we've ever been. I believe that. I told you in 2015 that God wanted you to have the best year of your life regardless of your circumstances because your life is way more important than your circumstances. And so now we get to see, okay, how are we going to do that? And we get to go deeper into that. I want to tell you, tell you, first of all, something you already know, but you may not realize it all the time. Just like Pastor Vernon said, this is an epiphany. Oh, I knew that. Not all perspectives on your life are equally valid. There are a lot of people... And not all perspectives on, on what God wants for the world are equally valid. Everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is good input and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes right down to it, there's only one opinion that counts. There's only one perspective account that counts. And that's God's perspective. What did the creator create you for? Why have you been made like you've been made? Why have you been through what you've been through? And what is there yet to do that only you can do? The creator has for each of us a perspective. And it's very valuable to see things his way. That's what we're going to be doing in 2016. How does God see this? Let me give you an example of that. There is a, frame, a famous French artist, uh, Bernard Pross. And, he, and, and, and just let me show you an example. This is a YouTube video, an example of the kind of work he does. It's one of my favorite kinds of work. It's famous, fam, favorite kinds of sculptures. Look at this. And I want you to see, this is a viewpoint that he has on a piece of art that he's done. Now watch. Watch as it goes around to the side. What do you see? Junk. There's a sideways Buddha and a guitar and a couch and chairs and an old wheelbarrow. It's just junk. But look how the creator has arranged that junk into something that makes perfect sense. 
Can I just make the obvious analogy? We have a redeemer. We have a, a, a God who doesn't try to make our, our life into better than it is, but it arranges what he has. And a lot of us, a lot of junk, arranges what he has into something that's beautiful. That's what God does. God's perspective counts. And unless you see it from his perspective, you'll never know why your life is as it is, what those ingredients mean. Okay, so here's what, here's what we're going to do just this morning. I want to tell you that, that in order to be equipped and empowered to live that life, to know that purpose, to understand, to have that epiphany about your life, and about our life together, there are four basic elements, foundational elements, that will affect every one of us differently. But there's something that all of us need to go through together. Four basic elements to your life, okay? The first one is knowing what you believe and believing what is accurate about God. There are a lot of false gods. There are a lot of gods that we made up ourselves so that we would feel better. But the accurate God is the only one who has the power to redeem us. All false gods don't have any power to help us. They have only have the power to hurt us further. And so we have to have accuracy in what we believe because belief is what we become. We become what and who we believe. There's an old book uh, that I have in my library, it, it, the title of it is we, we Become What We Behold. We become what we behold. When we say, fix your eyes on Jesus, guess what you're going to become more and more conformed to? Jesus. If you fix your eyes on anything else, guess what you're gonna, your life's going to start to resemble? That. And so our theology is that which we turn to, that which we focus on. This is what it says in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is Paul's experience. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, how does that happen? He tells us with the next line. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God. Who's my focus? The Son of God. That's who I'm looking at. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not even about me or what I'm doing. It's about him and what he did. And so that's his focus. That's how his identity changes over a period of time. Number two, our behavior. Our behavior Scripture says, how I live, I am is our identity, by the way, how I live will help or hurt me and those around me. Could I just say something to you? There are a lot of people who say, you know, it, a lot of stuff doesn't matter. Could I say over a period of time, everything matters. It will help or it will hurt. And so therefore, we have to focus on what will be most helpful. Let me tell you what scripture says. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, let me, let me point something out very, very important here. It says, I'm, I'm going I'm to shift the, the power thing to the next, to the next thing, but, 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 but let me point this out. It says, you shall be my witnesses. That, that says who I am, who you are. You understand the most powerful form of testimony to God is your life, is your life. You shall be my witnesses. Faith is not something you can call in or call up. Faith is only something you can live. The only powerful form of faith is what you can live. Your presence is required. I, I heard this story about, about this professor who came into the classroom early one day, put his hat down, and they had to copy a bunch of papers. And so, and so 27 students filed in and, and the paper thing got jammed and he couldn't make the copies. Well, in college, some of you remember this. In there, there's like an unwritten rule that if a professor doesn't show up for 20 minutes, then you just go home. You just, you just, you know, well, it must be, not be. And they saw his hat, but they didn't see him. And so he was 20 minutes trying to get that paper. And, and so they, everybody just left. Well, the next time they had a class, he came in and he totally just blasted them. Said, you saw my hat here. If my hat's here, I'm here. Don't you ever do that again. Next class, he came in and there were 27 hats on the chairs. <laughs> you can't call this in. This isn't about your hat. It's about you. This is about me. This is about my life. This is about what I'm becoming. This is about how I'm living. And so most of us at the beginning of a new year say, you know, I, I want to do better. I want to live better. I want to be better. I want to be someone who is better for the sake of of those I love. I'll get to that in just a moment. But let me go to the third element that we're going to work on. By the way, the first, the first trimester of, of, of this year, we're going to be giving you the basics of our faith in a way that you know them so well, you can speak about them to someone else. Because, watch this, you don't really know them and you're really not formed by them unless you're trying to communicate them. There's a basic way we're made up. And, 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 and that is we can only conform or we most powerfully conform in the ways we're trying to help others. It's just how God made us because it's who God is. God so loved he gave, that's who he is. And so that's, we were made in his image. I'll come back to that. Um, but, but I want you to know the non-negotiables of Christianity and what we believe and why they are so powerful for your life so well that you can tell that someone else. Okay, number three, there's a sense of belonging that all of us must have in order to grow into the people we, we hoped we would be someday. We need a personal Christian community. Now let me, let me break that down. I've told you before, all of us need big church and personal church. Big church is this, where we come together and we, and we learn together 
and we impact the community, we impact the nation, we impact the world. I cannot tell you the impact you're having on this community and this nation and this world. It is significant. And no one can do, have that kind of impact just with a small group or just alone, of course. And so together we're having a tremendous impact for the kingdom in this world. But having said that, all of us need a personal church, a personal spiritual community. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. Someone who knows us well enough to know what God put in there and needs to be pulled out for the benefit of the world. Someone who encourages us, someone who sustains us. Soren Kierkegaard was one of the most brilliant theologians that ever lived. And one time he said, you know, there are basically three levels of faith. The first level is the aesthetic level of faith. That is where you get this picture of who God is and what he has done. And, 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 and it's beautiful. And it calls you. And, and, it's, and it's wonderful. That's the first level. But there's a deeper level. And that is when you not only are satisfied having the picture, but you need to devote yourself to it. You're called to, to respond in, in, in accordance with what that picture is and change your life to conform to that picture. That's called the ethical level. That's what ethics are. I'm going to conform my behavior in order to match who I see God is. But the third and the deepest level, the level of actuality, is when you realize you can't. When you realize you can't, I don't have it within my power to change my life. I don't have it within my power to be sustained in the self-discipline it takes in order to do what I want to do and not to do what I hate doing. I don't have that power. Do you know why that's the deepest level? Because we are simply people who recognize that if God doesn't do this, it's not going to get done. The Bible says you shall receive power. The Greek word there is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. It's very powerful. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. But there's also a principle I want you to see. And it's laid down in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You've heard me talk about this many times. <clears throat> in Genesis 2, 18, the man, God puts the man in the garden to t- cultivate it and to keep it. <clears throat> and it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And as you know, I've told you this many times, the, the Hebrew for, here for helper is the one who talks back. One who corresponds, the one who talks back. That's the Hebrew definition of a wife. But watch this. It's not just the definition of a wife. This is not just about a man and a wife. This is a basic principle. The principle of complementarity. 
We need others to complete us. We need others who will supply what we cannot do and pull out of us what we can do. This is a principle for friends. This is a principle for the church. This is a principle for that personal church that all of us need. So if you don't have that yet in your life, we want to make 2016 the year you begin to build that in your life. Because we all need the encouragement to be sustained in what we know God wants us to do and what we want to become. And the fourth element is this. We need to begin conversations. Conversations about spiritual things. Now, this intimidates 95% of us. And I say us because I'm still here. In the, I, I have a brother-in-law. I've told you about him. This guy is a natural evangelist. You, you, you can get on an elevator with this guy. And by the third floor, you understand where you are with God. And you're glad. And you're glad. You can sit, sit in a diner and say, you know, ask him to pass the ketchup. And by the time the ketchup gets on your hamburger, you, you just want, you want Jesus. You just want Jesus. Most of us aren't built like that. Our eyes twitch. And our mouth goes dry. And we don't know what to say. You know what? We're going to teach you. It's not that hard. Because you don't have to do most of the talking. We're going to teach you. But here's the key. And here's why we have to have these conversations. You won't be developed in your faith. You won't be developed in your walk until you're trying to communicate with other people. That's how God made us. We need to share our faith by example and by service and by words. That's the last one that gets everybody nervous. We need to live for them there. We, not, we don't just have, have to have a, a, an us, the holy huddle. We need to break out of the huddle and go run the play. We need to have an impact. We need to get in the game. And so therefore, it's important to understand that Jesus didn't just call personal disciples. In Matthew 4.19, this is what he said. He says, in the, I, and he said to them, follow me. Now that's a personal disciple, right? Everybody who follows Christ and is trying to continue to follow Christ, that's a disciple. It's a learner. I am constantly learning from Christ. But watch what it takes to actually become a disciple. And I will make you fishers of men. See, you don't really know what you're trying to, what, what you're trying to say until you try to say it. I was telling the Saturday night group last night, bless their hearts. I love Saturday night because they're the most tolerant, graceful, forgiving people. They just, I, just, I just keep saying, I'm not going to say that tomorrow morning. I'm not going to say that tomorrow so, so you kind of get the, they get the unabridged, unedited. Because I really, I, God speaks, God doesn't need my words to be right before he can communicate to you what you need to hear. I don't put that kind of pressure on myself. I really don't. I'm not all that good a preacher. It's, it's the Lord who's speaking to you just while I happen to be moving my lips. I know that. 
But personally, I don't really know what God's trying to say in a sermon till about Monday night, till I've said it about five times. And then I go, oh, oh, yeah. You're like I am. You're all built like I am. You need to say something again and again and go, oh, I, I, I want to say a little bit like this. Oh, that's closer. Oh, that's closer. Oh, that's closer. Do you see how he forms theology in us? Do you see how he forms us to fit theology? Through conversation. Through conversation. <clears throat> I'm embarrassed sometimes that your lives can more powerfully express the gospel than my sermons. But you send me these notes as to what God is doing with your life. And I'm totally inspired, totally humbled. I saw, I read one of the blogs of a Northlander this week. <clears throat> She's a young girl, many of us know and love, who's going through cancer. She's been going through cancer for years now. And she was at her first round of the next treatment. And I won't read you the whole thing. This wasn't written to me. This was just written in a blog entitled Happy New Year. But I want to read you some parts of this. <clears throat> She's in the waiting room for her treatment. <clears throat> And the longer you sit in the waiting room, everybody knows this, the more anxious you get. And she said, I began to sing softly. You make me brave, you make me brave. No fear can hinder now the promises you've made. Some of you know that song. Then the door opens up and her sweet nurse comes in. This psychology nurse has been doing this for a lot of years. But she hears that song. And she begins to express to this girl how much her faith means to this nurse. Her job as an oncology nurse can be rewarding, but she finds it mostly extremely difficult and depressing. So she often feels leaving often leaves feeling beat down and angry, questioning her purpose even. It was in this moment that I recognized the magnitude of the platform that I have, not only as a cancer patient and survivor, but as a Christian fighting cancer, staring death in the face. As I proceeded to share with her the source of my hope-filled joy. My anxiety dissipated. I forgot about the results. I forgot about the dreaded side effects to come in just a couple of hours. I forgot about the needles. I forgot about the cancer. It's been four years since the day I was told I need to fight for my life on this earth. I was angry and scared. It wasn't fair. 
And I felt so hopeless. I remember wondering how this could be a part of a greater plan. How at 23 years old, this battle would ever have real purpose to God. Did I even have purpose to God? Now, four years and one week into the fight, I can imagine no greater purpose to this journey than to see it bring hope to those caught in their own seemingly hopeless suffering. To share the gift of joy that is no longer circumstantial. Hope and joy that can bring purpose even in our deepest hurts and brokenness and a drive to keep persevering. I hope my enduring this struggle helps the world see that I didn't follow Jesus because it was easy. I followed Jesus because Jesus is worthy. And in him, all suffering will have purpose. sermons I preach pale in comparison to the sermons you live. People watch you. Your life makes such a difference. And so we come to the right motivation for all of these. God gave us, wired us, created us so that we would change our lives and the world most powerfully if we loved most powerfully, if we were loved most powerfully. You know why the great commandment is the great commandment? That's just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's looking into the mirror of how we were made. It says in Luke chapter 10, Verse 25 through 27. And by the way, the four stages that I just gave you, the four elements, are not consecutive. They're concurrent. You do all these things at once. They feed into each other. We'll, we'll get into that. Just keep coming back. We'll get into that. A lawyer stood up one day and put him to the test. Teacher, talking to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, notice, by the way, Jesus wants us to verbalize. He doesn't want us just to accept an answer. He wants us to give the answer. That's really important. Because if we're giving the answer, we're more likely to live the answer than if we just receive the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. How many people do you know 
that will never change their lives for their own good? Could I answer? The overwhelming majority. There are people who are messing up their lives and they know they're messing up their lives and they just keep saying, well, it's my life. And they will destroy themselves. I'm going to tell you about that on an upcoming sermon. But the people who repent, who go a different direction, the people who say, no, this is not what I want, have one thing in common. They love someone more than they love themselves. They love someone more than they love themselves. They will live for someone other than themselves. When God gave us the great commandment to love him with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, it wasn't just because it's the right thing to do. It's what we need to live right. When he said, love your neighbor as yourself, it wasn't just the right thing to do. It's what we need to get healthy. It's what we need to come to the full giftedness that he's put into us and to live out the purpose and to understand finally why we were made like we were, why we've been through what we have and what there is yet to do. So 2016, here's the game plan, ready? A lot of you have been watching football. I've been watching football, I love football. I love football. And you know every one of these teams that have made it to this point has a game plan, right? Now you, you get in the game and the game plan changes. You know, I was, yesterday there was a, a ball game, a, 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 a team was down 31 to nothing, came back to win it in three overtimes. That was not the game plan. Guarantee it, that wasn't the game plan. But if you care, you make a plan and you adjust it as you go along. And so therefore, we have a game plan for 2016. Here it is. First of all, put it up. I forget what it is. <laughs> I'm not clearly out of the wood, Saturday Night Woods yet. You understand that? I got it now. We worship God in a way that addresses how to focus on Christ as he transforms us into his nature and purpose. Again, this is not about our, Christianity is not a behavior modification program. This is not about us operating in our own strength. This is about us making ourselves available to be transformed by God. My favorite verses in all the Bible is, is uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror. When's the last time you saw in scripture that particular phrase? It was in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord the Spirit. 
Worship, we're going to do just a, some, some very powerful worship in just a few minutes. But worship actually changes your heart. It's not just the right focus, it's transformation. Worship transforms us. God inhabits the praises of his people to reach down into our lives and make us different people. Again, not just the right thing to do, it's how God changes us. Second, offering our lives in new ways to God for his work and fulfillment. We just went through a series called The Tipping Point. Now watch, we're not through it. We will never be through it. Because the tipping point said this, everybody just needs to take their next step toward God. Do you know what your next step is? That's a new step. That's a new step. Every time you do something toward God, that's a new step. That has a profound impact on your life. I want all of you today to take a new step. I want you to make an offering. I don't care how much it is. Just say, I'm in. This may not even, those of you who are tithers, we, 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 we tithe on a regular basis, but it's, just, it's scheduled, you know? Because when I get my paycheck, it's, just, it's scheduled. Doesn't matter. Sometimes you just need to, you know? Because this is, this is not what I usually do. This is a new way. I want you to make a decision today about how you're going to follow up in order to become a new person in the new year. Some of you have made that decision. That's why you're here. But I want you to say, I'm coming back next week. I'm going to learn more about this because I want to live the life God gave me to live. This is what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. What happens every time you take a step? Your mind's renewed. You, you, you're, you're literally thinking like a new person. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the last one is this, responding to the needs around us with his grace and truth. This is what the Bible says about Jesus in John chapter 1. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The Greek word here means it came actually into your life. Grace without truth is just mere sentimentality. It doesn't change anything. It just promotes ruin. But truth without grace is cruel and heartless. Those have to go together. And as we respond to the needs around us, We've got to be grace-filled people. We've got to cut, cut people breaks. Cut yourself a break. But we've got to stick to the truth. Now, if we'll do this together, if we'll come along with me, 2016, let me tell you what God's going to do for us. He's going to actually make us new people. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 1.7. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. This is a King James Version. I like this. But of power, 
and of love and of a sound mind. Some of your versions say of, of self-discipline, of, of, of focus. The point is that we see from the Creator's perspective our lives and what we have yet to do. Come pray with me now. Lord, thank you for this great start, for this great year. We come to you realizing that we don't have the power to live the lives we really want to live, nor the power to quit the sin we really want to quit. But we also proclaim in faith that you can and will transform us if we make ourselves available to you. If we put forth that effort, which is grace, not the earning, the effort, which is grace, so that you will have access to our whole life, our whole schedule. So I ask you to take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow and apply them to our hearts that we might not grow cold and apply them to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.